What's up, guys? Welcome to The Narrative with me, Samantha Weaver, and my co-host, Asia Porter. Hey, what's up, everyone? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Narrative. I know that we've been away for a while. Um, try not to come for us, <laughs> but we're so glad to be um, back up and running. We have a great episode for y'all today in continuing with season two and our discussions on community interventions. Yeah, so as you know, like we're trying to really uh, sell the message of how important it is to be, to be an engaged and impactful member in your community. Um, and with that, this episode is going to investigate and get a look into grassroots campaigns. Um, and to talk with us about that today, we have a wonderful guest with us, Adrastro Silva, and we just want to thank you for being here. Yeah, no, I, thank you both for allowing me to have this space. And um, you know, I kind of feel honored to, to be on here because, you know, not a lot of places like to talk about grassroots campaigns. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I'm Adastos de Silva. I use he, him, or they, them pronouns. Um, I am on uh, stolen Tiwa land here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, but in the past, I had worked for Corey Bush um, uh, up in St. Louis. And so, um, yeah, I, I'm, again, just honored to be in this space with y'all. Thank you again. No, thanks for coming. And I know right now you're working as a campaign manager and um, as you said, you talked about how you worked with the Cory Bush campaign in 2020. Um, and I also like you told me a little bit that you or before that you said you were the dean of the learning communities for the movement school. And all of that information had me like looking all this up and seeing because like you said, like people don't like to talk about it. So I don't hear about about it a lot. So mm -hmm. the fact that I'm 21 and this is like fairly not completely new, but also I don't have a lot of information. I'm wondering, like, what got you involved in this type of work? Um, and like, I don't know, like what piqued your interest? Yeah, um, you know, I I had a really interesting childhood where um, I basically had half of it spending time with my, with my mom's side of the family and then my dad's side of the family. Um, but my dad was actually in prison for most of my childhood. So when I say my dad's side, I really mean my grandmother on that side of the family. Um, and my mom, you know, we, on that side of the family growing up, I struggled with, um, you know, domestic violence constantly. Um, and the lack of the school system being willing or able to, to support my calls in saying like, look, I'm, I don't feel safe at home. Right. Um, you know, that was something that was very demoralizing kind of growing up. And then on my dad's side, when I, you know, would go every two to three months to go visit him in, in, um, in prison, which the prisons always were, you know, three to four miles away or three to four hours away from where we stayed at, um, you know, going on that like kind of long trek as an eight-year-old being like thrown over the shoulder of my grandfather to go visit him um, and then, you know, getting there you know, at nine o'clock in the morning only to visit him for like an hour um and kind of just seeing seeing him kind of not seen and us also as a family not seen as like li living human beings with like you know emotions um 
because all they really saw with us was basically just more money to extort, right? Um, and so by the time I hit um, high school, I was like going and uh, jumping couch to couch because I was kicked out of my mom's house um, because I was struggling with a, with a drug addiction at the time. Um, but I ended up, you know, getting back with my grandmother on my mom's side and um she kind of like helped me get all of my shit together uh was able to kind of finish out high school um and i had interned for a couple of like uh the congress people that we had here in our district but like for me i i just saw like actually i want to say really quick one really amazing quote that I think kind of sums up my feelings on like where I see how fucked up the established. Oh wait, can I say that? Am I allowed to say? No, that? you're good. You're okay. good. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, one real quick quote is that you know Malcolm X kind of said that the that the only way we get freedom for ourselves is to identify ourselves with every opp- oppressed person in the world, right? Mm-hmm. And when I look and see it, all of the politicians that we have elected at any levels of our government. I, I can't see any of them seeing identifying themselves among our press, right? You know, I, I think about, you know, Cory Bush going up to the Capitol wearing a, you know, Brianna Taylor mask and them asking, oh, is Brianna your name? You know, like how infuriating that is, right? Um, and so kind of just jumping back to the original question, it's just like, for me, I had so many people in these spaces just give me chances. Um, And had I gone through like the political machine or the ways that, you know, those folks wanted us to go through or want most of these people to go through to work on campaigns or even to run, right? Um, Probably people like Corey Bush, AOC wouldn't have gotten elected. Um, And so, yeah, it's just kind of um, interesting seeing how far Right, shaking up the the political machines can get so many amazing progressive people elected into politics. Yeah, and I'll kind of I'm just gonna I know Asia, you probably have another question, but um just going off on that, like when you when you said like people pulled pulled you in and you know you kind of were interested in it because of how you saw or because of the way you saw the fist, the system like fell, like you and your family. I, I'm guessing that's what you basically said. That's my summary. Let me know if I'm wrong. But um I'm wondering, like, once you came in that space and, like, once those people, like, invited you in, like, where do you think uh, kind of, like, the height of, like, the grass modes, grass uh, roots, like, campaigns and kind of movement, like, what was kind of the level? Because right now I see that, at least I feel like as a whole, the country is kind of calling for, um, like, politicians and leaders that represent, like, working class, like, quote unquote, like, like struggling America. So I'm wondering, like, what was the temperament when you first came in? Um, or are you just now starting to understand that now that you're working kind of, you have leadership positions in those spaces? Ooh, I wouldn't say I have leadership positions. I feel like I'm still learning a lot, right? Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I am I am very lucky and, and very privileged to, to have gone um, into spaces where, you know, normally it does take people years um to get into these kind of spaces higher up right um but yeah i mean the moment where i think 
great. Everybody will probably, most people in progressive politics will probably say it was Bernie's run in 2016 mm -hmm. that really started the like domino effect. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't vote then. I was still also dealing with my own shit back then. So um, I also kind of didn't believe in an old uh, white socialist guy from Vermont was going to do something for me. But, you know, in like that ignorance kind of made me really, or I deconstructed that like ignorance closer to, you know, the end of his campaign and realizing, oh, wait, no, like the thing is, is all of the classism, all of the sexism and the, the uplifting of the patriarchy through, um, you know, electing some kind of centrist candidate like Hillary Clinton and, you know, um, a massive right wing candidate like Donald Trump, right? Like this is not, these are not the selections that we should be facing. Um, and so that kind of started a domino effect in me once um, Trump's election happened was um, I started just spending hours researching what I could do. Um, and I was a caregiver at the time, so I didn't really know what really, like none of my family members were involved in politics. There was no like set in stone way of like, oh, you, this is how you get involved or do this and that, right? Um, and I ended up just going to a, to a boot camp for, um, working families party, which is a national organization that does like amazing work, um, to elect candidates all across the board, um, both local and, and federal, uh, seats. And, um, they opened my eyes to what this like whole new world could look like, right. Of, of what goes into campaigns and campaigning. Um, and trying to make sure that like, we're holding those progressive values, right. But we're not electing old white men, like Bernie Sanders, right. Like, or just like old white men, right. Um, we're trying to push for more queer folks. We're trying to push for more black indigenous, um, Asian folks. Right. Um, and when, after that, like boot camp, I ended up doing a little bit more research and I found out about the movement school, which I actually now work at. Um, and they train people how to work on campaigns based off of a model where we're prioritizing not only youth, right? And not only our BIPOC, um, BIPOC staffers, right? But trying to make sure that like, we're almost hyper-localizing the way that we strategize and bring in people and voices so that way it's not just like this one candidate who's kind of leading the the campaign, right? Because nobody should be this kind of like one voice for the movement, right? It should be everybody's voice in it. I hope that answered your question. I kind of went off on a tangent there. No, it didn't. <laughs> it like filled in more questions or more questions I had, so. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to also what you just said about um, getting involved with that movement and how it pushes to incorporate more BIPOC people, more queer folks. Um, and then also going back to your first answer when you were talking about how current politicians are kind of out of touch. Um, you talked about how they asked Cori Bush, oh, Brianna, is that your name? So how do these grassroots organizations push back against um, current politics that are very driven by corporate interest. Um, building off of what you already said about incorporating more people of color, more queer people, just, you know, how, how are they pushing it back 
pushing back against our current political scene? Why are these grassroots organizations important? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's really important, at least, right? Of course, like most of these things are my opinion, right? But like, I think, right, when we uplift and say that we want a grassroots candidate, it is because we are recognizing something within the current uh, either elected official or the current system in general that is facing a deficit of what the community needs, right? Um, and so I think the biggest thing that is really helpful in realizing too that like, it, let's say if you're somebody that wants to run in, in an area that has that need, right? They feel like they're they're disenfranchised. They're not wanting, they're, they don't feel connected to their current legislature, right? Um, and you run and let's say you lose, right? Um, you lose that race by a 20 to 30 point margin. I, in my opinion, say that that's really good because of the fact that, right, every single time a progressive person runs, every time that a, a new person pushes the boundaries of what has happened in that district, whether it be two years ago or, you know, in the case of with Corey, right, 30 years or 50 years, right, of the same family for over, you know, decades and decades and decades, right? Um, Corey lost by 30 points or 20 points or something like that, something very big and significant, right? Um, but she won the second time around, right? Never holding elective office. And so for me, I see, right, that every time a person runs, every time we have somebody in the movement willing to put their line, their name, their, their putting, willing to put power behind that courage, right? Having that political tenacity, the uh, authenticity of somebody that's, you know, needing to give a voice to those folks um, who don't feel engaged, right? Who don't feel like they're being represented. Um, it's just, it provides a new pipeline for those folks, not only who want to run for that office, but also the people that want to, you know, work for candidates in office, right? Um, you know, the people on AOC's, Corey's, Jamal Bowman's campaign, they were all, most of those folks didn't work on campaigns, you know, continuously for 20 years of their lives, right? That was my first congressional race. Um, and so, you know, I think really it just allows folks to have a, a pipeline for having more capacity to add more people into the movement, right? And that's always what we want to do. Um, and I think... The Democratic Party likes to phrase itself as the most inclusive party, but I honestly say that they're, they're the most exclusive party, right? Because they they purposely love to go for those corporate interests um, with the feigning kind of like facade that they're going to represent the working class, but they don't they don't ever back it up. And the people that do are normally the the squad members, right? You know you know their authentic selves. Um, but you don't know those corporate interests uh, candidates um, or what the, those corporate interests are going to do in, in terms of like a vote or something like that for those candidates. Yeah, and you talked about how there was a whole family like 50 years, for like 50 years um, here in St. Louis that Cori Bush had to defeat, I guess on her second time. 
um, running. And that really represents like the system that we're operating in now. And I know that that's uh, obviously um, a limit and a barrier to grassroots campaigns. Like I'll have to think about that when running. And I, it was really interesting that you said like, oh, a 20 point loss, like that's still great. Cause of course it's still spreading um, the message and it's infiltrating the public. But I'm wondering, are there any other uh, limitations or barriers that have, that arise um, throughout these campaigns other than fighting against the obvious, like the two dominant political parties in their message? Yeah siding with corporate interests. Yeah, no. Uh, you know, I always hear the same arguments happen all the time. And it's always fundraising, viability. Um, and then there's a third one that I, I ironically just forgot. Um, but if I remember, I'll mention it at the end. Um, <laughs> but fundraising, right? Like, which is really interesting too, with the topic of fundraising, um, because this is even something I want to push back on, even in progressive uh, like spaces and also progressive organizations, is that like, right? Where their candidates are expected to amass thousands and you know upwards of millions of dollars for like federal office, right? That's what these massive organizations like the DCCC, the DCCC, um, which is the establishment arm of electing the the House of Representative members uh, on the Democratic side, um, and that organization wants to make sure that the candidates that they line up for their House seats on the Democratic side have well connected donors that they would be able to raise millions and millions of dollars. Maybe not for that campaign, but most of that money, when a candidate of federal office is elected and they still have money left over, that goes as dues to the Democratic Party. So that's how Hillary Clinton um, in 2016, by the way, basically amassed a, you know, millions and millions of dollar war chest. But none of that money went to the local candidates running. And that's why we lost so many seats. Um, and both, you know, the Senate and also local elections and the House of Representatives, because all of that money was just being funneled into the party, and the party just funneled it into her campaign. Just dropping um, that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, just because it's like it's like a one of the other things too that it's just like it pisses me off in progressive spaces, right? When you say that you're wanting to get money out of politics, but then also on the other flat side of that, you're like, okay, wait, how many? How many thousands of dollars have you made? And it's like, what? I, I'm, I'm the working poor. I jumped into this race because I see a gap within that. I don't have that well connected. And then they say, well, you're not viable. And it's just like, it pisses me off too because of the, the second argument that they make specifically with women of color candidates is that you don't have legislative experience. You don't have x and y experience or you you don't have the political connections and it's just like it reminds me of when like me getting a first-time job right and i'm applying to it and you know i have a whole bunch of like academic credit hours and i have a whole bunch of extracurricular activities done and i have like a lot of applicable experience right but it's my first job i get and i apply to it and they say oh well, can't hire you you don't have experience and it's like how do i get experience if I can't even get the job. And it's just like, it doesn't make sense to me. Um, experience. And yeah, it's, it's so infuriating to me because, right, like it's classist, it is sexist. And all that is doing is saying, unless you had the 
the privilege of your connections, of your people that you know, you're not allowed into these spaces. And what is that doing but only kneecapping the our, our most vulnerable and underrepresented? Right. I also hope that answered your question. Mr. Donald Trump had no political experience, but there he was. Um, so... <laughs> Anywho, um, so <laughs> <laughs> I guess in just kind of recapping some of the things that you just said, like that's, it, it's very frustrating. Um, it's very exclusionary to people of color, women of color, people who really want to advocate for working class, underserved populations. It's all very frustrating. And I feel like a lot of times people feel like there's really no way to fix it, like fix that system, destroy the system, whatever the case may be. Um, and so how do you respond to individuals who've kind of lost lost that faith, whether it be electoral processes, just politics in general? Like I know you mentioned that Cory Bush lost by 20 to 30 points at first, and I feel like that would be incredibly discouraging, but you see what happened the second time around and she won. So I guess um, how would you kind of offer that hope that through grassroots campaigning, whatever the case may be, that there is a future. You know, I would say that those are that are fighting the hardest against the electoral process have the least amount of faith within the process. Um, and I'm mostly joking with that statement. I'm, I'm not being entirely serious, but uh, right, like there is a level of disillusionment that we all kind of have right in this process of of these candidates that don't seem that they're for anything, right? It's wherever the wind blows. And um, sometimes, you know, they blow with just where the money kind of, you know, smells for them. And they don't actually even are connected to any of these issues locally to these folks, right? Um, and I, I would say, right, like, I, I truly get, not feeling like anything I do, whether it be volunteering, whether it just be my vote, whether it be even just sharing a post on social media is not doing shit where it's going to affect people. Right. And in some, in some instances, you know, that's probably true, right. Where we have right. These massive million dollar war chess candidates, because they're going to do whatever they want. They're going to funnel their money wherever they want. The establishment are going to do whatever they want unchecked but that is the thing we want to check them we want to make sure that they don't have this um unlimited kind of uh way of spending their money and trying to basically rig it even more in their favor right and i think about Corey, and i also think about you know that quote that i said earlier about malcolm x right about how we need to identify ourselves with every oppressed person or people in the world, right? And I think it was about how every single passing year, right, the progressive movement gained something. There is still a lot that we have gained within just the four years, right? Like in pre-2016, before Bernie ran, there was no socialist party, right? The, the, the uh, DSA, DSA wasn't, you know, a massive organization. Um, there was no like national conversation about having a nationalized healthcare system or free college tuition or anything like that. And that's not to say that he is the sole 
responsibility for that, but he charged and fueled a lot of that fire. And now with, you know, all of the squad members, we have, we have a, we have a pool, right? We have the start of something anew. And that's not to say it's, you know, not coming a bit too late, right? For most of us, especially as Gen Z, like we're going to face the brunt of, you know, all of these years of our generations before us neglecting us. Um, But at the end of the day too, right? Like I would say if you feel the most disillusioned, the most powerful people that you will have the most amount of influence with will be your local people, right? That is specifically in St. Louis, right? Your alderman and your mayor, right? Tashara Jones, shout out to her because I really want her to win because she's fabulous and amazing. Um, But like those are the people who specifically have the most power within your communities and can once that buildup of power, we can see something like what happened in Nevada, where you get all of the establishment, like Democrats resigning their offices because the the DSA created a socialist coup um, and made it to where like it was not, it was a loud resounding no in the establishment kind of being able to, you know, have a, a good night's rest without any disruption. Yeah, and you talked about, like, earlier, um, like, holding these politicians accountable. I think everybody totally feels that, um, especially after this Trump presidency, and they're like, okay, we're going to get him out, but, like, we don't want Biden, you know, to make the same old promises, um, and we don't want to just praise him because he's not Trump. So I think there's more of an emphasis to hold politicians accountable. So I know that's one way that people can stay engaged, Um throughout like the lull of the election cycles. I was wondering if you had any other advice. Maybe it's not exactly working within um, an electoral campaign, but what are some other ways that we can just stay engaged as like community members um, and push for uh, representatives in government that um, express the ideas of the working class America? Yeah, yeah. Well, so there's almost never an election cycle, right? Um, At least, all of all of the places I've lived, there's never not been an election cycle. Even if, even in the off years of like 2021, for instance, most municipal elections happen. Um, and you know, in 2022, right, we have all of the house seats available. Um, and so, you know, I think that's what makes politics right now so exhausting is that the media. Um, has kind of made it to where it's like breaking news, this has happened. And then we're all having like an existential crisis and we just want to go get our iced coffee and, you know, smoke a cigarette and try to try to just cope with all of this anxiety. Um, so to be honest, at least for, for me and the folks that I work with, I like to let them know, like, if you want to stay involved for the long haul, do not put yourself in a position where you are watching the news every single day and then you are tiring yourself out. Like we are in this for the long haul and you don't want to like burn yourself out without even volunteering, right? Like if you're going into it with being already pissed off about what Biden's doing with the the uh, children detention camps that he has going on still and has, still has them running, right? Um, you know, that's going to piss you off and like have and hold that space, Versus like if you take breaks in between not only the news that you're consuming, but the volunteers or the, excuse me, the volunteer activities that you do um, and the, and the um, relationships that you build with folks, making sure that like you're not always centering it around politics, right? Um, At least within uh, all of the spaces I worked in, 
people burn out really quickly and they lose they lose their faith right if they just constantly go at the pace of being at a hundred always right um and working in politics is hard especially when you become a staffer because you work of you don't work the 40 hour a week that that sounds like a dream to most of us right you you normally work between the 50 to sometimes 70 to 80 hours a week kind of time frames um and so that's not that's not sustainable the four the 40 hour a week is unsustainable right um and so the you just got to make sure to pace yourself is, is my biggest thing in saying that's how you stay involved in the long term no i totally agree um i try to do a lot of work or like i try to do some work in the st louis community and also being a student and like i experience i guess that's something i've learned a lot this year i'm starting to experience burnout from just uh like witnessing the problems that are here and that i'm trying to combat against and feeling like oh is this ever is this am i doing enough but and also feeling guilty for not you know for various reasons so yeah i think that's really good advice so i'm glad you shared that that's something i've been <laughs> to also push out there um but you know the more people you have involved i found that bringing in people and telling people um about the various issues within st louis and of course, beyond St. Louis, that's been kind of a more like relaxive or relaxing way to do the work that I want to do because it's bringing more people in and I don't always have to exert so much out. So, yeah. And I mean, that's that's also one of the other things that we can do. Right. Um, I think that's really important is is the wealth of knowledge, um, especially right in the communities that we work with. Um, where they don't make the language of politics accessible. Um, it isn't right you hear the jargon you hear the like when i was in st louis like i mean i was i was never worked like worked in missouri before before i worked on quarries right when i heard alderman or alder person you know from y'all that sounds probably pretty normal at least for the people involved in politics but like i didn't know what the hell that was um and what what does that mean what kind of power do they have and especially in st louis um and the surrounding area where you have I, I forgot the count now that I remember, but I thought it was like upwards of the hunt in the hundreds of municipal governments that are within the greater St. Louis area, right? Um, and so I, I I just think too that like whatever wealth of knowledge that you accumulate over the years, spreading that spreading that with you and your family, your your friends, your community is a very powerful way in the long term to build that power too. So I appreciate you. I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, well, those are all of the structured questions that we have. We just wanted to pick your brain a little bit, but we wanted to allow you to <laughs> say um, anything that maybe we didn't cover. If there's any message that you would like to put out there, any more inspirational quotes, <laughs> we'll <take laughs> any of it. <laughs> I wish I had more quotes uh, queued up, but I also didn't want to make this sound like a like make this. Uh, make me be out to be a nerd for for some of our revolutionary comrades uh, before us. Um, <laughs> but I, I did want to say uh, just one more thing around special interests, interests, which is right. Like true representation arrives from bringing individuals with shared lived experiences to the table, and not the not just those you know special interests. Um, and if all levels of the political machine are dominated by one group of people and then that only that one group of people that corporate class that we currently have set up are only going to be represented 
And so I just want to make it known, right, that progressive campaigns, progressive candidates, your progressive community members, the community specifically, are essential for those to be highlighted. Because if they're not at the table and they're not in the seat where we can get that accumulation of people power, then we're losing our ground, right? There are moments where we do need to face resistance every step of the way. And, you know, it's really important to remember, right, these spaces weren't made for us. But as we kind of organize together, we like like crowdsource our organizing strategies and um, continue with the movement, right? You'll be able to bring uh, and keep us within these spaces and making sure that we push out all of that, you know, sexist, um, patriarchal, white supremacy, um, and give birth to something that's actually representative of our community members, right? Um, I will say um, in the kind of going a bit like to a larger scheme of things, I really highly recommend folks to look into the movement school being as a source of um, source of knowledge for wanting to get involved onto campaigns. Um, if you're looking into getting into it, um, in like a longer haul, right? Um, and if you're not into working on electoral campaigns, I would say um, still look into it anyways, because there's still a lot of wealth of knowledge within um, building power for whatever specific issues or or even within labor organizing um, that it can be helpful with, with knowing, right? Um, and then, you know, the other thing I want to mention too is just like your communities and our communities know what's best for them and the people with the closest the people who are closest to the problems have the best solutions and it's not any of the bullshit right of who has the most money who has the most experience it's about the community that matters most and with that i just want to say thank you all for for letting me kind of jump in um but and yeah, just sharing the space with me. I just, I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, we really appreciate you coming. I completely agree. And that's something that's been super special to me and Asia as well. Um, joining the St. Louis community, Asia's from Mason, Ohio. I'm from like a suburb in North Carolina. So St. Louis was completely different. So I totally understand like coming in and just not knowing like what's going on. Um, but yeah, that's part of the reason we do the podcast. We just want to bring our audience into the community and how we can really be a part of that and how, you know, we're going to, we're going to have to save ourselves and we're the best people to do it despite uh, money and corporate interest. So I really appreciate that you ended on that, but no, to our listeners, I just want to say thank you guys for listening to another episode of the narrative. We know a lot of you guys have been listening from the very beginning. And again, like it does suck that this has taken so long to get out on um, this episode, but Asia and I, of course, so happy that we've been able to record. So thank you, Adrastros, for helping us, you know, keep it going. <laughs> I think you sp spread some really good information today. And we'll be sure to share uh, with our listeners. You can look for it on our Instagram page. You can look for it on our website. Thank you. Shout out to Kat. Um, you'll get some information about the movement school um, and maybe a little bit about some uh, grassroots campaigners and that's going on right now. Like uh, Joshua said, there's never a lull in the election cycle. Um, so you guys can hopefully get some more information on our social media about how you can get involved. But thank you guys for listening and we'll see you hopefully next month. <laughs>